We're coming very close to the end of 2012. Uh, we started 2012 with a theme entitled Building a Sure Foundation, and we're just about to close out all the lessons and series that we've had on that theme. Uh, the theme, of course, was focused on Northside, building a sure foundation here at this congregation so that we can continue to be a, a force in the Lord's kingdom. The series that we're wrapping up right now is entitled Perfectly United, and we've been talking about unity for quite a while. The last seven lessons, in fact, uh, that we've had <coughs> excuse me, have been about unity. Uh, the, the last seven have all been focused on that same thing. Uh, unity is important. Uh, let me have the next slide, if we could, please. Uh, unity is important, and we talked about the importance of unity. It's what Jesus prayed for. It's what he wanted us to be, is unified, so that they would know who we are uh, by our love. We talked about what really causes division, the flesh, if you remember that one. Spirit causes unity. The flesh always produces division. We talked about individual ways we can create unity. And we talked about doctrine and weak and strong Christians differing in disputable matters. We talked about tradition. And last week we talked about worship, all of the things that sometimes uh, divide Christians and congregations. Uh, hopefully this series, which has been kind of a long series, we rarely do one with eight lessons, but uh, I think this one's important. And if you're visiting, you may think, well, they've got a real problem with unity there if they're talking this much about it. Uh, let me reinforce that uh, this series uh, was not a prescription to cure a problem. Uh, it was a vaccination to prevent a problem. And uh, hopefully we will remember these things as we Northside goes on for many years of service. Now today, let's finish this series up with one entitled Perfectly United. Well, that's what Paul admonished uh, the church in Corinth. He wanted them to be perfectly united in mind and thought. So let's think about that a little bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Northside is uh, probably as united a congregation as any church I know. I believe we really are united and uh, do very, very well at that. A house divided against itself cannot stand, uh, Jesus said, and we aren't divided, but any way that I know of anyway, uh, I think Northside's history is amazing. Uh, we've been around for 73 years. A few Christians in the north end of town started this congregation in 1939, uh, and basically it's been pretty well uninterrupted, almost completely uninterrupted uh, accord together. Uh, I've been here for a lot of that time. I came here 55 years ago, actually, uh, and took some time off in the middle. After I got out of college, we went away for about seven years, uh, and I'm thankful that we did go away uh, because going other places showed me that this kind of unity, this kind of harmony is not really normal. Uh, there is a lot of division and flesh-causing division uh, in the Lord's church a lot of places. A congregation that stays uh, solid and firm on a foundation such as Northside has for 73 years is unusual. Uh, there's usually troubles in places caused by the flesh. I don't want there to ever be a hint of division 
at Northside. Is one reason that we're spending all this series on this. Uh, let's let's make sure we understand this and, and just take seriously what Paul said. Perfectly united in mind and thought. How is that possible? If you really think about that, that sounds impossible, doesn't it? How can two people <laughs> be perfectly united in mind and thought, much less 800 or so? Uh, and because that sounds impossible when we first say it, sometimes we come up with the wrong idea of unity. We come up with a concept of unity and we say, well, we'll be united this way. So before we talk about what it means, let's talk about a couple of things it doesn't mean. Uh, first of all, being united, perfectly united, is not uniformity. It doesn't mean everybody has to be and think and act exactly the same way. Uh, there are some groups where that happens. Uh, we usually call those cults. <laughs> we, we call them uh, something, some of you old enough to remember the Moonies. Uh, Reverend Moon, his followers thought the same way, acted the same way, looked the same way. They were uniform. Uh, there are other groups that force their people to think the same way or try to force their people to think the same way. Uh, that's not the unity of perfectly united in mind and thought we're talking about. A discussion about things, disagreements about things, reasoning together. Uh, being different, hearing different input, that's a healthy thing. Uh, we ought to have some of that. Uh, and when you think about it, the unique, the unique nature of uh, the Church of Christ, of a plea for New Testament Christianity, uh, that's a strength, but it's also a weakness. Because we as a people, as a church, as a congregation... Uh, believe that each one's responsible for understanding this book. We believe you can read it and understand it. Uh, we believe that we ought to read and understand it, that we don't need a hierarchy to tell us, here's what to do. And when we believe that, that opens up, if you will, a weakness of disagreements. Well, that's the way the Lord set it up, so it's a good way. And we just have to understand Paul's admonition to be perfectly united in mind and thought. Doesn't mean we all have to be uniform. We're going to be a lot of differences, but we can still be perfectly united. Being perfectly united in mind and thought, secondly, is not a superficial unity. Uh, I've been to churches where there's a superficial unity. I can just kind of sense it, I think, and you probably can too. They, they, they look good for an hour. You know, they all sit together and behave properly, and there are no, no, no big problems. Uh, so they look like they're unified, but then when it's over, that hour, they separate into their cliques or their groups or their their uh, something. Uh, I can't think of another word for that, but a group that, that's not unified. Uh, maybe it's even individual. They just go off their own way, and they don't have anything to do with the rest of the body the rest of the week. They act unified for an hour, but they're really not of one mind, of one thought, of one spirit. Being 
unified for an hour is different than being perfectly united in mind and thought. One guy said you can unite two cats by tying their tails together. But you don't have unity. (laughs) They're going to fight like crazy. Although they're superficially, they're tied together. Thirdly, being perfectly united-minded thought is not unprinciped unity. We hear a lot, and we've heard in the past a lot about the ecumenical movement, how all churches ought to get along, and we all believe in Christ, and everybody ought to just all get along. We ought to fellowship each other, and we ought to act like nothing matters that separates us. We want more folks. You know, so we don't want to be exclusive. We don't want to leave anybody out. To do that, you got to ignore a few things. Uh, we talked about that early in the, the series about doctrine and how there are some things that divide and ought to divide. Well, you can have an appearance of unity, uh, an unprincipled unity. If you say, well... I know this says this, but we'll ignore that. And this says this, but we'll let that slide. And we'll just act like we all get along. And you can have an unprincipled unity. The, the hard part is where to draw the line. And we gave some guidelines in that series on, in that lesson on uh, doctrine. But you draw the line where you have a clear biblical statement. And there are places where the Bible says this, and that's where we draw a line. We can't have unity, unprincipled unity, beyond those clear biblical statements. Now, if we're fighting and dividing over traditions or preferences or worship practices that aren't even mentioned in the New Testament, all that kind of, we're out of line. Now, that's division. We're not perfectly united in mind and thought. But we can be so not in an unprincipled way. So those are some of the things that don't doesn't mean. What did Paul mean? Let's see if we can figure that out. What did Paul mean? Well, perfectly united in mind, the word for mind there, means what you understand, what you believe. The word thought, or your translation may say judgment, means a practical opinion of what to do about something. So when Paul says, be perfectly united in mind and thought, or mind and judgment, in the things that you believe, in the things that you hold important, of what you understand, and what to do, how to act, how to work things out. Today's English version has an interesting translation of what Paul said. It says, be completely united with only one thought and purpose. I think that's getting close to what he's talking about here. We're going to have differences. We're not going to be uniform. We don't intend to be uniform, but we can be perfectly united in mind and thought. Have one thought, one purpose about what we're here for. Now, before we get into it in more detail, let's look at a couple of examples here, see if they help. Uh, For instance, an army in battle. You take an army, you can't find any place that has more different backgrounds. People come from all over the nation. They have different educational levels. They have different skills. They have different backgrounds. Some of them like the Steelers and some of them like the Cowboys. Some of them are Ford guys. Some of them are Chevy guys. The Democrats and Republicans. They got every kind of difference that you can possibly have. They have basically nothing in common. 
in the ways we usually think about people having things in common. But if they're in the army, they know who the enemy is. And they, they know what they're fighting for. So when that happens, we can say when they're in battle and when they're going against the enemy, we can say, well, they're perfectly united in mind and thought. Well, it doesn't mean they have everything in common. doesn't mean they are uniform. doesn't mean any of that. It means they know what they're after. They know what the purpose of things is. They have only one thought and purpose when they're in battle. In fact, we can take this army example a little further. You know how the military works. They've got a chain of command. And everybody understands it. And you know what the word submit is, is a military word. It means line yourself up under the right position. Well, that's why Paul took that word. And he said, to Christians, you submit to each other. When we all submit to each other because we understand the purpose, we have one thought and purpose, we're perfectly united in mind and thought. Sports teams are another example. They show us the importance of unity. This is the 1992 Dream Team up here that won the Olympics. And I put them up because there's probably no team that had less in common other than their talent. They were the, I think, 12 of them, or 10 of them are now in the Hall of Fame. This was an unbelievable, the best collection of basketball talent ever. But they had so many reasons not to be united. They were all superstars. They all had huge egos. They were all millionaires, basically, except Leitner. He was still in college. Uh, they all had their own endorsement deals where they had to wear different kinds of athletic clothing. And somehow they had to get over that and work for the Olympic gold. They had their own contracts that they were trying to get renegotiated and letting somebody be better than them wouldn't help them on that. They had rivalries amongst them. They had a thousand reasons not to play together. Magic Johnson and Larry Bird had been the NBA for years. They were the kings of the league. And Jordan was just starting to become the king of the league. There was a huge rivalry there over who was the best. Clyde Drexler honestly thought he was better than Michael Jordan. They all had these things going on. But the 12 of them came together and on the court, you couldn't see any of that. On the court, they were perfectly united in mind and thought. They were there to do one thing, win the gold medal. You ever see a coach call timeout? Get up and say, timeout. Get over here. Why does he call a timeout? To change directions or to get people back on the right page. You know, they're, they're not doing it right. And they call time out and say, all right, here's the direction we're going. Here's what we're after. Here's how we're going to do this. Coach Chuck Daly in the 92 Olympics never called one time out. Zero time out. Never had to. But these guys out there, they were perfectly united. They didn't care about scoring average. They didn't care about minutes. They didn't care about who to pass to. All these huge egos came together, perfectly united, 
in mind and thought. Now, you can say, well, they won because they were the best. They were talented. Yeah. But we sent talented teams before. We sent talented teams since. We sent NBA teams since. And they lost because they couldn't play together. They let all those other things get in the way. They weren't perfectly united in mind and thought. Sports is a good illustration of this. I, I played a little bit of basketball at the Y and rec leagues and church leagues and something like that. And many times after we picked up teams or the, the other team shows up in the league or something and you look them over, you say, whoo, we're going to get whipped tonight. You know, they've obviously got more talent than us. This isn't going to come out well. And in a lot of those games, at some point in those games, you notice that the other team is starting to bark at each other a little bit. You know, why'd you take that shot? Pass me the ball. Come on, man, get it over here. When you hear that, you know what I think? We're going to win this thing. We've got a chance now. We're going to win because they aren't one. Okay? And if you're smart, you agitate a little bit. You know, you talk to your guy. You say, guy missed that shot. I don't know why he didn't pass it to you. You know, just stir things up a little bit. Yeah, you, you win the game. If they're not unified, if they're not perfectly united in mind and thought. And there's all sorts of other examples besides sports. We got a lot of musicians in there. A symphony. Everybody in a symphony is the best at their instrument. You know, they could do a great solo, I'm sure. But what are they there for? They're there to interpret the piece that some master wrote. And so they watch the conductor, they do what he tells them, and they make a beautiful thing together. And they're perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, we understand that. Those examples help us, I hope. We're different. We have differences. But for a purpose, for the purpose of the church, the differences don't matter. We don't let them matter. We are perfectly united in mind and thought. Okay, with those examples, let's go back to Corinth. Corinth, pagan city. Brand new church. whole bunch of baby Christians. Paul had been there a short time. He'd gone off and left them. They were on their own. They were in a mess. Where's Paul start? It was just read for you. He starts his letter. He says, you're the people of God. You're sanctified. You're all Christians. I urge you, be perfectly united in mind and thought. Now, Corinth had a few challenges. We may think we've got some challenges, but the people in Corinth, this is a brand new church, had all kinds of reasons to be divided. They had Jews and Gentiles and pagans all mixed up together in the church. So they all had different religious backgrounds. Way different religious backgrounds. There were some rich folks and some poor folks. There were masters and slaves. I mean, we can't even conceive of the concept of slavery, but it existed there. There were uneducated and there were some who were wise, who were well-educated and thought they were wise for that matter. There were weak Christians and strong Christians. There were some that had a pretty good understanding of what Christianity was, and some were brand new and didn't quite get it. 
They met in house churches. They didn't come together where they could look good for an hour like this. They met in houses. They didn't have a big room like this. Okay? So how often they got together as one or whether they ever got together as one, I don't know. But think about that. And they probably had to meet in basically rich people's houses because they were the only ones big enough to have much of a group. And the poor had to go in there and the slaves had to go in there. And they were all separate from each other. There's some potential for division there, folks. They had doctrinal error in the church. They didn't have perfect doctrine. Some of them didn't believe there was going to be a resurrection. They had all kinds of things going on. And Paul dealt with a lot of them in the letter. Some of them approved immorality. Things were going on in the church that shouldn't go on among Christians. Some of them said, that's okay. We're pretty wise and tolerant. We'll we'll put up with that. Some of them were suing each other. That probably made for a lot of fun in a church. They followed different preachers. Other people had been there. Paul had been there. Apollos had been there. And they said, I like that guy. I like him a lot better than that one. Well, all of those are 2,000-year-old problems, but they're also 21st century problems, a lot of them. There's reasons to divide there. You know, and like you look at that last one, they're following different preachers. You say, well, we can't do that. He's the only one we've had for so long. You know, he's, we all kind of like him. And I can say that because a lot of you chose to come here. You know, that's one reason people choose churches. They they, they like the preacher or they don't. Okay. Well, at some point, I'm not going to be preaching. And there's going to be somebody that you didn't choose to come to Northside because of. Okay, That's a potential division thing. You can say, well, I'd like Kim better than him. Or I'm glad he's finally gone and we got this new guy. You know, there's all kinds of things can happen. But the reasons for division that Corinth had did mess them up some. But they overcame it, or Paul told them they had to overcome it. They had to be perfectly united in mind and thought. How did they overcome it? Well, let me give you one tip, and this is an important tip. I put it on your handout. The tip is Paul confronted the problem. That's how he started the letter. He said, I'm writing to the church in Corinth. You're all sanctified. You're wonderful folks, all that. But... I hear there's divisions, and we're going to straighten that out. If divisions ever start to appear, somebody better confront it. I said this kind of unity is not normal. That's because it doesn't get confronted some places. It needs to get confronted. Elders need to confront it. Whoever's preaching may need to confront it. It may be in your small group. Where that fissure starts, you need to confront it. Say, no, this isn't going to happen. And however we're organized, and we we have all kinds of subgroups going on here at Northside. If you see the start of division, you confront it. Those of you who are spiritual, admonish others. That's That's how this one got worked on. Is Paul started out and said, we're going to confront this. Now... Here's the point we're trying to get to. 
Paul's one-word solution. This was his solution. You look at all those reasons for division. Paul didn't set them down and say, all right, let's talk about this legal problem here. And let me be a mediator. If you're suing him, let's, let's talk about that. Paul's one-word solution was Christ. He said it over and over. I put it on your handout. Right after he urged them to be perfectly united in verse 13, he said, is Christ divided? That's his first argument. How can the body of Christ be divided if Christ is not divided? Verse 23, he said, we preach Christ. We don't preach this doctrinal problem. We don't preach this tradition. We don't preach this. We don't preach. We preach Christ crucified. Verse 24, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. That's the answer to this problem. Chapter 2 and verse 2, I resolved to know nothing when I came to Corinth except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what I taught you. That's where we started. That's where we got to go back to. Verse 15 of chapter 2, Paul said, we have the mind of Christ. You got to be perfectly united in mind and thought. How do you do that? You have the mind of Christ. Verse 23 of chapter 3, you are of Christ. You try to read 1 Corinthians and leave Christ out, you haven't got much of a book left. The church has one Messiah, has one mission, has one message, Christ. And that's Paul's answer. He doesn't deal with all these other things, all these trivial things that are the reasons for division. He says Christ is the answer. You can't be divided. You should be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's what we're here for. We are the body of Christ. Now, if Christ was the answer in Corinth, he's the answer at Northside. I said we're well united. We don't have this problem that we've been talking about for so long uh, that I know of. But if it ever arises anyway, yeah, I know the answer. I know how to confront it. Let's get back to what we're here for. Let's get back to what's important. We are here because we are the body of Christ. That's the standard that we always have to come back to. I know we've got a lot of musicians here, we've got a lot of music teachers for that matter, and they probably understand the importance of middle C. I read a story one time about Lloyd Douglas, the guy that wrote The Robe and a number of other books. He said when he was in college, he lived in a boarding house, and downstairs on the first floor, there was an old man that was uh, infirm, couldn't get out of the house. He was an old music teacher, retired music teacher. And Douglas said he'd check on him every morning, and they had a routine that he'd do. Douglas would go downstairs, and he would knock on the door and open the door, and the old man would be sitting there in his wheelchair. And Lloyd Douglas would say to him, well, what's the good news this morning? And the old man would pick up a tuning fork and hit it on the arm of his wheelchair, and he'd say, that's middle C. It was middle C yesterday. It will be middle C tomorrow. It will be middle C a thousand years from now. The tenor upstairs sings flat. 
The piano across the hall is out of tune, but my friend, that is middle C. And Douglas would go on his way. The old man had found one thing that you could depend on, one constant reality in life. For Christians, there's one constant reality. There's one thing that was the same yesterday and today and will be a thousand years from now if we're around. There's no shadow of turning in Jesus Christ. When divisions start to come in, it's because we forgot to focus on Christ. There's a hymn that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full on his wonderful face, listen, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth are what cause division. The flesh causes division. When it begins, let's turn our eyes upon Jesus. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm thankful that Northside is so united, and I pray that it will always be. If you're here this morning and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we want to extend that invitation to you. If you had any needs of this church or if you want to put Christ on in baptism, come. Let's stand and sing.